Welcome to the Omaha Ria Radio Podcast, Episode 8, with Satya Mystery, the man of mystery. Some of the properties that I bought have been in market value. And when you have a little bit of scale, I would say 10 plus single family homes, the cash flow becomes more realistic. When you have one or two homes, it might look, okay, I'm going to cash flow two, $300 a month. But one thing happens and it wipes away your budget. When you have a 10 plus, your budgets and your cash flow starts being a little bit more realistic. You know, when you have 10 homes and they're all occupied for one year, that's 120 months of straight vacancy. You know, if you've collected successfully, if you have one single family home, you need that home to be occupied for 10 consecutive years to maintain the same level of, you know, vacancy or occupancy. You're listening to Omaha Rio Radio. We break down real estate investing in the Omaha metro area, large and small. If you are here to learn from local investors and skip all the BS, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the hundreds of others that have joined OmahaRia.com. Hey guys, this is Ted with the Omaha Ria Radio Podcast. We're back again with my favorite co-host, Owen Dashner. Also your least favorite co-host <laughs> right now anyway, right? Favorite and least favorite in yeah. the same. It's because there's only two of us. That's and, true. And we were just talking today that you just need to really take some ownership. This is our podcast. Our podcast, the Omaha Rhea Radio. It hurts my heart every time you're like, you know, like I'm, I'm, this is Ted's podcast. This is our podcast. Well, it's kind of like you had, a, you know, you had a kid with somebody else and then I'm entering the picture as the step parent. But that's kind of what I feel like. This is your creation. But you've I'm been just, here since episode one. That's true. That's true. Okay. Even though episode one, you weren't sure if you're going to come back for more. This is my slow play on actually taking over the podcast. Oh my so, goodness! I'm, no, I'm kidding. You already got your you already got your own meetup. You don't try to take over my meetup. I'm also. just the guy behind the guy at the meetup. It's Collins. I just I'm involved. I get it. I get it. Well, everybody appreciates you at that meetup, and you know, and your support and your well, you too, you yeah. and, and the intellect that you bring there. Thanks for being our ad hoc uh, AV person for the last like three and a half years. Well, until Denless came around and kind of showed you up a little bit with his skills. So hey, hey, we appreciate I, it. I've done my Facebook best. live posts. You know, we've been through a lot in that in that meetup. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, real quick question for you. Have you uh, listened to any of our previous podcasts? I have. And have you been like critiquing yourself? Yes. And what have you found that that you're that you're like, hey, I can't do that again? Well, I, or that part's goofy when we, I do it. We were we were talking about this, and probably most people do this, but I am frustrated at how many times I say um or uh, and I don't catch you saying that. I don't. Yeah, I I don't when I'm doing it. I I think I say like a lot more than I ever realized. So that is really annoying. So I figured out that I say so like because I'm really consciously never trying to say um, but I do I do catch myself saying so in between. So <laughs> we're our own worst critics. Well, that's probably not true. And my laugh. I I, I feel like I, I listen to myself and I'm like, where does that laugh come from? <laughs> <laughs> your laugh i can't stop laughing when we get people on that are, are funny so it's something i definitely need to fix i need to have like a better laugh omaha Rio radio a work in progress work in progress for the people oh and by the way 
I, I, I want to apologize to every, all the listeners that our sound has just been so awful. We're, we're working on a budget with this podcast and we've had wireless microphones and they've been on here at the table and are crossing signals. And we are so apologetic towards the, the sound you've been getting out of the last, um, seven podcasts well we've really upgraded from the can tin can with a string connected to another tin can with a string uh, that we started with so yeah the budget's been been good so we All did sponsorships today had sponsorships have picked up we got a new sponsor banner coming out but we finally for the first time have professional podcast microphones it's really exciting so if there is anything that you guys hear from this point on it's on dentless and exactly. So there's no technology now that we can buy to make this any better than it is. It's all on us now, unfortunately. We can't blame anyone. Well, we do have a new mixer board that we need to get in here eventually. Okay, yeah. So right. that we can... There's that so again. There's always something we can buy. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> hey, have you sat down with anybody interesting or had any good uh, lunch meetings or anything that you could enlighten us with? You know how I, I go to lunch and coffee and so forth a lot with newer investors and I get questions. How do I get started? How do how do I do a lot of things? And, you know, we have good conversations and I really now realize what that's like probably for them because I went to lunch with uh, Scott Simrad and um, and Jerry Reimer the other day who a lot of people in Omaha know them. Power people. Yes. And I felt like a complete amp. Uh, the gap between what I know and what they've done is very large. And it was very, I wouldn't say humbling, but it was uh, that, that lunch meeting, we, it, it was probably about two hours and it was just like, you know, me asking them a million questions, but wow, they have done so many cool things in the, you know, the urban village redevelopment project along park Avenue. they told me about the early days and the whole grace university uh, repositioning that and they just sold that to green slate and that whole project. And, and it's just mind blowing the things they've done. And they're like, Oh yeah, we just did this. And you know, the asbestos abatement cost you know, a million dollars or whatever, all they're throwing out all these things. And I'm just like, wow, how do you, you know, I feel like a, a rookie again. So kind of cool. I mean, you know, if you do the same thing over and over again, it gets, you know, it gets a little routine and you kind of get used to it, but that they're super interesting what they do. During those two months that we weren't doing the re-events um, during the, in the heart of the pandemic, we did a interview with uh, uh, Jerry and uh, we did a live. Uh, I remember live that. Video it was like the two chair, you guys yeah. sitting there in the chairs. Yeah. yeah, but except it was it was still the transition month with Andy. And uh, so Andy did the interview. I was behind there on the camera and there's some really good nuggets in that. Uh, but if you didn't get a chance to watch it, it's on. You can go to the. Uh, live Ria. What's our hashtag? Live Live Ria events on on Facebook. Sounds and, right, and you can find that. Yeah, but uh, it's a great interview, and I, I think we did the the live walkthrough like um, like your group did uh, just last week or whatever it was. One one quick thing I want to I want to mention. I don't know. I, you've heard the term TIF financing before, tax incentive financing. I got a quick overview of that. And holy cow, there are so many interesting things that you can do with TIF financing that I still don't know. I still don't fully understand it. I thought I I did, but I really don't. But they were telling me about that. And we we recently bought, Brandon and I bought a, uh, a project in uh, Ralston, right on the corner uh, in old Ralston on the, um, on the main kind of the main drag there. I think it's Park, Park Drive. 
we don't really know what we're going to do with it. So we were talking to them because Jerry is developing a 36 unit project right next door called the hinge project. So he talked about what he hit the process of buying these parking lots from the city of Ralston and him dealing with the city council and the mayor and all these things. And it was, uh, a f- that project that they're doing, they're using tax incentive financing. And there's a huge chunk of that total project cost is going to be uh, recoverable through TIF. Yep. Super cool. So I'm going to dig into that some more and try and, you know, get up to speed on what, what can be done with it. Because there's some things that I guarantee you I've missed out on by just my lack of knowledge. You should talk to the Schlickbrands about that too. They've done that in the last few projects. I will. I will. Yeah, so can't get some clues there. Well, with uh, great information there, and uh, and we, you got them coming on a future podcast, right? Sure. Yes. You, you got they don't know it up? yet, but they're they're going to be here. <laughs> we did get a commitment too from uh, Colin Schwartz. He said he'd do episode. 10. Oh wow, he's going to find time for us. That's that's great. We're going to have to hold him to that because yeah. we just publicly said it. So you better show up now. <laughs> he's calling him out. Yep, love it. So uh, today we like to always cover our golden nuggets. <laughs> I did. I did. How you do? Yeah, you went up. You went up on me. All right. <laughs> I started going into that because I was going to sing it, and then I and I, but I totally uh, missed. I, I wrote We're my notes okay. on that. Dennis can work on that. Okay. So, uh, Owen, what is today's golden nugget? Today's golden nugget is: if you're an investor, odds are you've probably walked through smelly houses, right? Everybody has heard the term. That's what money smells like. Cat pee. Smoke smell really bad, BO, uh, mold, all those things, right? And I see, I don't know about you, but I notice a lot on the Facebook group, people are like, this house really smells like smoke. What do I do? They don't know. And my golden nugget is go out and buy an ozone machine, an ozone generator, and you don't have to get a crazy expensive one. You can get one on Amazon. I've bought, here's what I do. I will buy them turn them on, leave them at a project, forget I bought them or forget I have them on the project, sell the house. Now I'm without an ozone machine. So I go to Amazon again, find the same one I bought. I've done this probably 10 times. Yeah. So golden nugget number two is uh, pick up your ozone machine after you use it. But those things work miracles with smoke, with cat pee. There's other things you have to do to get the, the smoke out, like get rid of carpet and, and, you know, drapes and things like that, that are porous that can absorb those smells. But if you use an ozone machine in combination with removing porous materials and you use trisodium phosphate, it's uh, what you can wipe the walls down with and trim that will go a long ways from removing uh, smoke, really strong smells. Sounds like something you'd use in your meth lab. Well, that's uh, another bonus that you okay. can do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, well, you know, I was in a house that really smelled like money this week. Oh, uh, really? I posted it on my, uh, on my realtor page I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. But if you take all the houses I've ever walked and put all the roaches into one house <laughs> at one time, that was this house. Uh, I had a wholesaler show me a three-house package in Lincoln and uh, wa- walked into this house. It looks what looked like three meth heads that were kind of hiding corners. And then they had elderly people that were – I need to call a city on this one – that were living in the house that looked like they were just kind of sitting on the couch. And it was a horde. And the walls were crawling and it was raining roaches off the ceilings. They were dropping down. And I mean, I, did you I, get it under contract? No, I walked, I walked in and I walked out. They actually had tents set up outside or on the driveway that they were sleeping in and they had whole beds inside the tents. Where was this Lincoln off of those? Wow. Like it was, 
it was a, it was a unique one. I double masked and I, and I still thought I was going to lose it in my mask. And I, I've been in some homes, but this smell of this one with all the cats in there too. Sounds like a good Airbnb opportunity though, with the tents in the backyard, you could probably rent those out for you know 30 bucks a night. It was a nice lot. And it was a flipped house across the street, three houses. I think they wanted 140. gentrifying. That's how they, <laughs> that's how it's going to be described in the listing. Oh my god! Up and coming area. <laughs> Yeah, I'll show you the picture. Bring your hammer. I'll show you the picture after this. It's pretty it's pretty outstanding. Well, without any further ado, I think it's time that we bring in Satya Mystery, our special guest today. Oh, I'm excited. This is gonna be good. You're the one who gave him the man of mystery. Yeah. Well <laughs> I mean it just fits. I think I've used that on another guest, but uh, this is just a much better fit. Well, uh just kind of give you a breakdown of uh Satyam. He uh, is a graduate of the University of St. Louis. He's been married to six, uh, been married for six months to six Alicia. different women. Wow. Not <laughs> say that that's your life. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's been a successful online, uh, retailer, which you're going to get a little into. He's a, been a hotel investor and he currently has 14 rental units and in a short amount of time and it has a pretty also. sweet car. And I, I, I just went out there and looked at it. And I, I, I really liked your car. He's probably worried about it right now, actually. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, Oh man, I had to park in this place. <laughs> so, uh, Hey, with no further ado, Satyam, welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm kind of honored to be here. Well, we're honored to have you. You've had a great story. And it's been really fun watching you, at least over at least the last year or so that you've been a member yeah. of Korea. Yeah. Just watching you grow with your business. Thank you. And uh, and Denlis said that you're the first person he's ever met here. Yeah, yeah, through bigger pockets. And I just feel we're so fortunate to have so many resources here in Omaha with the Meetup, the RIA, Mapoa. And there's a lot of kind of smaller groups also that are just, you know, four to six people getting together. And it seems like there's more and more the investor also that's more targeted towards women. So I just feel like it's a great opportunity, uh, especially then with such active Facebook groups that sometimes you go on there and you're overwhelmed with how many options there are for contractors and subcontractors and bankers and insurance companies where, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're fortunate. Well, you keep on getting told us, you know, I'm getting told by other people that are visiting, especially clients that come in town. They say that this type of community does not exist in their city. Hmm. Yeah. It makes you wonder what some of the, especially some of the larger, you know, cities are that maybe have a couple million up, upwards from there of, uh, people that, I, we get, I get that comment too. People will come in, they'll be like, what you mean? Like you just share that information or like, yeah, like it's kind of the rising tide lifts all ships mentality, abundance mentality. And I, I, I get the sense that especially in bigger cities, it's where it's really competitive. That's really not that way. I've heard Phoenix is kind of a, it's very competitive, but a lot of share, you know, a lot of resources are shared there too. Well, that's part of the reason we do this podcast. You know, the idea here is to bring in our, our members of our group hear their story. doesn't matter if they haven't done a property or done a thousand properties. We want to hear what your mindset is, what, what got you over the hump. You know, I also, uh, I feel like Omaha is that big, small town. So everyone kind of knows everyone. So that makes it easier to where people, you know, care about their reputation. They care about their relationships and, uh, it's like a, you know, small community. I was talking to somebody down at the Norfolk Ria, uh, when I did a presentation down there last month and they're like, like, we mean Omaha is a big, small town. I said those exact words. I'm like, you can go anywhere in Omaha and run into somebody. You know, it it it, it doesn't matter what part of the city you're in or somebody knows somebody. It's just it's just crazy. 
But hey, well, can you give us a little bit of overview of you and your story and what kind of led to get you into investing? You like you get all the way back into, you know, telling us about uh, your roots from after you graduated and what you kind of did in business. Sure, sure. So I was born in UK, uh, came here when I was about four years old. Unique thing about our family, four of us, we were all born on separate continents, which is unique, kind of fun fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, graduated from the University of Missouri, St. Louis in 2012. Um, have always had a passion for business and selling things, used to sell sports cards online and then started kind of selling sports hats when I was in my junior and senior years of college and was thinking, should I open up an online retail store or should I just stay on eBay? But then decided to open the store and after I graduated, beyondhype.com, streetwear was very popular at that time, underground scene was kind of emerging, so was able to get some good relationships with some reputable brands. So I'm, I'm just a retailer. I'm not a manufacturer of any products, um, but was able to create strong relationships and then do some creative things to gain traction and have been running that business now for going on nine years. Um, in terms of investment outside of that, uh, a family hotel investment brought me to Omaha from Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, parents are still there in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, I was... Did not have real estate experience prior to that, um, but uh, I had kind of shadowed somebody in Fargo for about six to 12 months, learned, you know, it was a smaller scale hotel, the one that in Omaha, you know, is 110, 115 rooms. So came down here, learned a lot of stuff on the fly, uh, was going back and forth between Fargo, two weeks here, 10 days here, things like that, you know, sometimes when I got to Omaha, I was going through a $500,000 rehab on the hotel. So a lot of, lot of new stuff for me, but was very involved, you know, had 24, 36 hour, you know, days. I remember driving back to Fargo one time and I started hallucinating because I started talking to somebody in the back seat and I said, okay, I got to stop the car now. You know, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, now it's time for a nap. So, so, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of work went into that, uh, gave, gave me exposure to a completely different business because in my online business, I'm not meeting with anyone. I didn't have employees. I'm not seeing my customers. And the hotel gave me that in-person perspective, which was very, uh, you know, invaluable for me in learning and, and gaining experience and exposing me to the Omaha market, after which uh, I sold the hotel about two years ago and uh, really immersed myself into residential real estate. I had bought a few houses kind of in between of owning the hotel. Also, my online business was growing in between there. So I couldn't add much more scale at that time with my time commitment to all these uh, different uh, items. Um, so when I sold the hotel in 2019, mid 2019, I had four residential properties. Um, and then after selling it, I knew I wanted to go kind of all in on real estate and went from four to 13 in about a year, uh, mostly single family homes, one duplex. And over the last six to eight months, I've been immersed in multifamily and development opportunities. Can I ask, uh, I have two questions, but first one is, are you still doing the website? I am. I'm still doing it. Um, it, I have a, you know, USPS truck comes every day, picks up parcels. I have a 3000 square foot warehouse in Gretna that I, I rent that one, um, have a van, you know, transit uh, forward that I go and restock and bring it back to my house and pack out of my basement. So, you know, been fortunate to build it into, you know, multi-million dollar business. Um, but it's kind of been a, a one man type operation and, uh, real estate has kind of now been really my focus. So I'm still running that, but it, a lot of it is on kind of autopilot because of my organic, uh, search standing and things like that. 
So if we, if we need some new sunglasses, we can check out his Absolutely. site and probably avoid the shipping fee because yeah, it's in town. I'll, I'll drop it off to you because yes. I probably want to save that shipping fee more than you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how, you moved from St. Louis to Fargo. Yeah. I how, did, how did you end up in Fargo? Why there? Uh, so dad's a transplant surgeon. Mom's a physician. And uh, my dad was uh, came. He read. He was a, you know, went to medical school in uh, UK, uh, India where he met my mom. And then he did all of his training uh, in UK and then decided to move to USA. Wasn't sure at the time uh, why he did it. He felt that there was, you know, more opportunity in US. So he redid all of his training in St. Louis because his training from UK did not qualify or it was not, you know, transferable uh, like that. So redid everything in St. Louis. Um, and then we were there, uh, from about 1994 to 2000 and he got an opportunity in Fargo, North Dakota, probably never heard of it. Uh, they were in desperate need of a transplant surgeon and, uh, he was the only one, uh, in the state, uh, for a period of time as well. I believe there's one more now, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, uh, kind of built a uh, a great uh, reputation and career in Fargo, North Dakota. So, um, what did but, you think of living in Fargo? You know, I was I was ten, so obviously it was different for me. Um, but then, like like any kid, you kind of get used to it and start you know making your own uh, kind of life there. Is there like a book or a TV show based on that? Yes, both. And yeah, yeah. Did, did you feel like like celebrity status there? Yeah. Anytime you mention Fargo from somewhere, you know, from to somebody from outside of Fargo, it's like oh, the movie. So yeah, famous movie. Do I need to see that? Is it like that it's good? a great movie? <laughs> it yeah. is good. It's yeah. disturbing. Is yeah. it? Yes. Uh, okay. So what did you major uh, major in? Business, business management. Okay. And let's talk about the hotel. Uh, that's pretty cool. How yeah. did you even like? How did that happen? Well, I was you know beyond hype. My online store was still up and coming, and I had time to do something else. And I love business, so I was thinking, okay, what else can I expose myself to? Indians are notoriously involved in hotel business. I believe like 60% of hotels in the U.S. are Indian-owned. So, really? um, I yeah, didn't know that. how that came about is like in the 1970s when, when they would get immigrants from India to come to the USA, um, you know, they're looking for a business because this, uh, I'm Gujarati, so kind of northwest state of India, which is very uh, business savvy. So a lot of people are interested in business. So when they migrated here, uh, they were looking for business opportunities and motels is kind of what they were uh, kind of fell into uh, to where they could, you know, run it themselves. Husband would do front desk, wife would do housekeeping. They would take turns managing the hotel. And these are small motels. And then they'd start calling more family members, you know, cousins, uncles that come here and then they would build the business. They were turning rooms, you know, two, three times a day sometimes, you know short-term stays, things like that. So um, that's kind of how it grew and then kind of just kept building and building and building. So it was actually an article in like 1999 by the New York Times. It's called Patel Motel Cartel. So, you <laughs> know, sketchy. just how it how it kind of grew and how they kind of have built this empire here. So I was looking for something to do, knew some family friends that were involved in the hotel business, talked to them, started learning from them and started looking for opportunities. Um, kind of was looking all around the country, but kind of more focused, I guess, a little bit more of something favorable came up in the Midwest market. So it would still be 
you know, easily accessible and uh, Fargo is just six hour, five and a half hour drive. So what, if you, if somebody was interested in buying a hotel, where do you even look? Is there like a Zillow for hotels or is so it? So like there's, there's Loop brokers. Net? Yeah. There's LoopNet at that time. Again, now it's probably Crexy is, is more popular. Um, so, uh, but again, hotels are more broker relationship based, things like that. There's brokers that specialize in just selling hotels and, and companies that just focus on, on hotel acquisitions and dispositions, things like that. So you did it. Go ahead, Ted. You well, I was thinking, I, Ben Cat had his presentation and he's talked about, he had a big focus on getting hotels and then turning those into apartment buildings. Is that a focus for you at all? Or? It's not been a focus for me uh, over this last year. I've just been immersed in multifamily, but I'm starting to look at those creative type options. I think it has to be the right type of opportunity and uh, setup. It can be a very costly uh, undertaking, especially if it's a large hotel that, you know, needs kitchenettes, things like that. You know, how do you want to, you know, are the interior walls concrete? If you want to demolish and combine rooms, if it's concrete walls, that can be a very costly process. Um, you know, what's the franchise agreement, things like that. What was the, was the hotel pro, like you put 500 grand into it, right? Yep, so you bought yep. it. The plan was to rehab it, yep. raise your room rates. Yep. Yep. Right? It was an older hotel. Um, so we mostly cosmetic updates that we were making, but on a hundred, 115 rooms, you know, pretty, well, uh, was it a, a franchise? It was, yeah, it was, okay. it was franchised. And it did, would you say it did well? Was it good enough for you? Was the plan for you to go in, rehab it, uh, reposition it and then sell it? Was that always the plan? Or did you plan on like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to be a hotel guy now. And yeah. And then I, you're like, well, I got an offer. I can't refuse. Oh, by the way, it was also right before COVID hit, yeah. which is handy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the strategy there was to come in and obviously reposition it and raise the, what we call the ADR, the average daily rate, which would be like the, you know, basically rent roll, if you want to combine, uh, compare it to like a uh, residential or multifamily. So, you know, the average daily rate and of course the, uh, you know, overall revenue of the hotel. So that was the strategy. Um, I didn't know exactly if I was going to, the plan was to hold it long term. Um, again, I had never been involved in the hotel business. So, um, it was a good learning experience of the day to day tasks that it takes. And in an economy hotel, what I found is, you know, being a franchised hotel, economy hotel, you're going to be at a lower price point. So it is can be challenging to bring in uh, management for that type of hotel to where it might be more beneficial that it's a, you know, an owner occupied type of business that you are very heavily invested in your time. And this is basically your baby uh, that you're running day in and day out. Um, which is a stepping stone of how a lot of uh, hoteliers got started in the you know economy type hotel because it's a great place to learn. Um, some of the challenges I had were just the day to day uh, employee situation. Um, managing a hotel of that size probably didn't need to be that many rooms. You know, when I was looking at them originally, I was thinking, you know. 110 rooms versus, you know, this one only has 60 and they're pretty much the same price. Why don't I go for the larger one? But, you know, there's operational expenses in having those rooms. Um, at the time, then my online business, you know, went from like 300,000 to, you know, a million within, you know, 18 months or 24 months. So managing that back and forth was a challenge, um, you know, was able to weather the storm. Um, but then I also kind of was interested in, in residential real estate because I saw 
I was self-managing. My original plan with residential real estate was to have five properties and manage, self-manage them for five years. And I felt that that would give me enough experience and be able to see some things that if I wanted to turn it over to a property management company, I now know what to look for, how to evaluate them. Because if I just gave it to them from the beginning, I don't really know what I'm looking for, if they're doing a good job or a bad job. So that was my original kind of vision with the uh, the properties. And I had four but I couldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really looking for more because I just, I didn't have the time. Um, but then I, I knew that I wanted to get more heavily involved in real estate after selling the hotel. And I saw these systems and processes um, that were less uh, involved with my personal time um, that I could still scale with. When you decided to sell, was that, was it hard? Would it take long or was it fairly, fairly easy? Is the hotel, uh, demand? I mean, obviously there's, there's a period just like larger multifamily assets of due diligence and, you know, negotiations and, and things like that. So, um, it came together, I would say in a pretty normal time frame for that size of transaction. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, it, I take the most, uh, benefit that I feel I took from the hotel was, moving to a market like Omaha, you know, which I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for the hotel. And then just the experience I got with managing employees, managing contractors, you know, some of the contractor relationships that I use for residential properties was, you know, I got exposed to those contacts because of the hotel, right? Um, so just the experience I said, I would say was more valuable than any uh, profit or loss. Is it like owning a boat? Like the the two best days are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Yeah, there, you're like, I days, thank God yeah. that thing is there's gone. days you know when everything is running so smooth. No 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 guests are coming to the front desk. You know sometimes guest checks you give the key uh, to a guest and they're checking into the room and then they're coming back out after you know five minutes. You're like okay what happened? But no they're just going back to their car. They're going to get lunch or things like that. Um, but yeah I mean you you feel good. You feel proud. Uh, the, the hardest thing, I guess, was the employees, you know, you build, you're like a small family, you know, with, with all the employees, you have seven, eight employees at a time, uh, that are on site. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I wouldn't say difficult to sell. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I wasn't, uh, emotionally attached, I guess, to the hotel. It wasn't, uh, you know, something I had grown up in or, or anything like that. So. Now you sold your hotel. So is there any future that uh, where you can see that you might get back into this? Possibly industry? in a different role, you know, and maybe, uh, you know, a different, uh, type of hotel, a boutique hotel or something larger where I'm taking on more of a passive role rather than owner operator, you know, everyday type, you know, I was doing night shifts. I was front desk. Sometimes I was in the office. I was staying at the hotel, you know, a lot before I bought the house. I bought my first residential real estate property before I bought, bought my primary home in Omaha. So uh, the hotel was, you know, where I was living too. Can you tell us a little bit about that first property that you bought? So first property, I believe it was December 2015, single family home in West Omaha. Uh, crazy going back and thinking about it now. You know, I went to see it, then went back to my agent and no, oh, let's talk about it. Let's go see it a second time. You know, things you can't do today. You know, do we want an inspection? Things like that. I got an inspection. Uh, you know, I still, I think I have that flash drive. It's like a hour video of, you know, inspector going all around the house and things like that. So bought it for 142750 I believe. I didn't know about bigger pockets and things like that at that time. I, you know, bigger pockets played a big role then later in me learning about real estate. But at that time, I was just, you know, kind of 
freelancing on it. You know, I remember, I think even before I closed on it, I was worried, you know, my, I was, my plan was to, oh, I'm going to rent it to some, you know, Indians that I know in town, things like that. And then, you know, I couldn't really find anyone. I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? I haven't even closed on this, but I'm already worried about who my tenant's going to be. But then, you know, you start learning a little bit. Okay, Zillow posting it on there. I believe it was uh, kind of how I uh, marketed the property and, and things like that. So what did you, what did you charge for rent? Did you do any work to the property? So that bought? was turnkey. Okay. So you 142, know, it was moving ready. It was moving ready. Got it. Uh, advertised. What did you, what did you rent it for? So I rented it for 1400. And I remember, you know, when I was showing it to people, I thought, you know, I want more people uh, to look at my property and be interested. So I'm just going to charge a $300 deposit. Most other places are charging one month rent. I'm going to do lower. And that way people will be more interested in staying at my property because of, you know, less money out of pocket up front. So, um, so yeah, that's how I, how I did it. And, and I don't have any nightmare experiences. I've been fortunate that way. How was, how I was looking at properties even at that time was, is this a neighborhood that, you know, I want to own this property in for 30 years, 20 years, uh, I'm buy and hold kind of, that's how I've looked at all the investments that I've made. So, uh, that's still how I assess a lot of the properties that I, uh, you know, own is, is this neighbor, is this a neighborhood that is up and coming that there's some positive trends going on in the neighborhood. Um, and is this something I could be invested in for, you know, many, many years. What kind of mindset did you have to get over to get that first property? I know that that tends to be the biggest hiccup for, for the, for, do you remember what, like what the issues that you're going with in your head besides getting it rented? I mean, you had a bad, there's always that nervous feeling you have when you get in that first one. Oh crap. What did I buy? Yeah. They accepted the offer and then you panic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, I don't, I don't say that I was extremely nervous. Uh, my parents have been involved in a little bit of real estate, but not in the U S in UK where we still have family that are involved a little bit in real estate, um, that they had held properties. And, you know, I had a, a trusted agent at that time that I still work with today. And I still view properties with funny story on the agent is because when I was first looking at houses, I went to see a house and the agent that I'd found online at that time, you know, we were looking at some properties and making an offer on this house. And I called an inspector to come look at the property. And he said, you know, that he smelled some smoke in the house and, and things like that. And then, you know, the agent told him that like, Hey, you know, don't, don't mention, you know, the smoke smell. It wasn't strong. I couldn't really smell it. Um, but he said that that could be a potential, uh, disturbance if you're, if you're renting it out, that some tenants would be more sensitive to that. And, uh, you know, and then also it came out that the agent's family member had actually flipped that house or rehabbed it. And I didn't even know, you know, about that. So I feel like that's something that should be disclosed that an agent has some type of interest in that property. So I ended up walking away from that property, um, which I was kind of proud about because it was a good house. You know, obviously, if I bought it, anything you bought back then would have been a home run uh, comparing it to now, even those, you know, four or five years ago. So then I actually asked the inspector, because I was very impressed by his thoroughness, um, and, and fairness to me. Um, do you recommend any agents that I can reach out to? Cause now I'm starting over again, uh, in my search and I need an agent. So he mentioned an agent, um, Alex Hyen, he's with Flatwater Realty now, his own brokerage. And he is who I have gone to looking for all my properties. You know, he's just been very easy for me to work with. So, you know, I mean, I ended up buying, you know, 15, 16 properties, uh, over the years so far with him. So, you know, never know where that business is going to turn up. Right. Yeah. It's all about relationships and you got to have a realtor that you can trust and knows the investment. I totally agree. 
And, and being an individual private investor, you know, I don't have partners currently. Um, it's nice to get that second opinion from somebody trusted. Cause even walking through a house, you forget something and you're like, you know, it's nice to have that reassurance from somebody that you trust. Um, you know, even though, you know, we've walked, you know, houses time and time again, we kind of know, but okay, what do you think rehab budget would be? Anything here major? You know, I've bought houses with him where I've been out of town and I just told him to walk it and made offers on it and, and closed on stuff when I've not been here. So that's kind of nice to have that luxury, I would say, of that trusted contact that's kind of keeping an eye out for you. What do you think that first house is worth that you got? Uh, I would say I still have that. It's probably worth about 220. <laughs> 220. I'm, I'm conservative. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to be too aggressive with it. First four properties I bought, I put on 15 year mortgages. So uh, and then my, my fifth, my, my personal home, I put on 15 year mortgages. And I know there's that always that conversation. Again, I'm much more educated on real estate since I bought that first property. But I think, you know, you have the Dave Ramsey approach and then you have the full leverage approach, you know, and there's no right strategy, you know, the 15 versus 30, everyone says do a 30 year mortgage, you can pay make more payments on it if you want to pay it down quicker. Us as real estate investors, we are thinking as soon as we get enough operating, you know, income, we want to buy the next property, we're not going to pay the 15 year down faster. Why? So the 15 year kind of forces you to gain equity. So I think a balance of that uh, is what I've taken, you know, I've First few, I brought 15, then all the other ones I put on 30 years. Obviously, rates came down when I went from 4 to 13 even further. Majority, you know, I've used my 10 conventional loans. Um, so I'm locked in on 10 properties uh, at, you know, 275, 2875. I think my highest is 375. And then since then, I've, I still wanted to continue growing. So I switched to commercial loans, which are much easier, of course, um, faster closing, less, uh, you know, paperwork involved. And uh, those are 20 year amortizations for the most part. So now, you know, my challenge and kind of my uh, ability to scale resulted in me having to find single family homes below market value. And then 2019, 2020, 2021, that has become increasingly challenging. And I had to decide, okay, if I want to keep scaling in this business, I need to start a wholesale company so I can get access at, you know, volume of single family that I can buy under market value. And I decided that's not the route I want to go. I don't want to be in the wholesaling type business. I just don't, I'm not interested in that. I rather focus on larger assets that I can control the future of through the net operating income. So that's what got me into multifamily, um, have been scouring opportunities for multifamily over the last, you know, year, underwriting, learning, underwriting, uh, you know, meeting with people. I, I met, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a big extrovert. I'm very kind of introverted. I remember the first RIA meeting uh, I went to and I was just kind of, I went in, I was just standing in a corner and just pretending to do something on my phone properly. Um, you know, and, uh, that's, that's an introvert's pro move right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> the old phone, man. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're busy. I'm busy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm checking properties. You're like I'm not terrified to talk to you. It's just that I have stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> so then slowly though, you start talking to, you know, one person at a time. And on the other side, I was, uh, reaching out to a larger, a lot of the larger players and, and educating myself at the same time. And uh, so I was meeting with a lot of people that were giving me insight and I had credibility because of, you know, 
how you talk to them, you know, the terminology you use, my experience, my current portfolio. So I probably have gone on like 7,500 coffee meetings over the last, you know, six months or so, uh, just talking to real estate professionals and, you know, people that are doing big things in different areas and learning from them and getting little golden nuggets and going back, applying it, things like that, and, and looking and looking and kind of getting confirmation, you know, uh, about my path. Um, and that also, you know, I, I forced a property manager to give me a free internship. Didn't really know, you know, what it was going to come out of it, but they were kind of at that point where they were, I feel like also scaling up. So, um, you know, I ended up going into the office for a month or two, cold calling multifamily owners. I was getting exposed to seeing a lot more properties because their clients were uh, buying properties. So I was underwriting those for 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 the clients and things like that and and really getting a, a good understanding of what the market is. So what did you I mean, you don't hear of anybody, especially somebody with experience like you, you know, at that point doing free work. So yeah. can I ask uh are you willing to tell us who you who you did that internship? Yeah, for? I did it with Dan Zimmerman. He was oh. one of my coffee meetings, City Line yeah. Properties. Um, you know, I I reached out to Colin, I reached out to Owen, I think also and just, you know, if you have anything uh, let me, that I can be involved in, but I get it that, you know, they, you know, some of the players have a lot of people that are reaching out for that mentorship and stuff where it, you know, maybe a lot of people don't follow through with it or don't have the credibility or, you know, that person, it's kind of a, a burden to them sometimes that I don't know exactly where to plug you in. And in, in this situation, uh, it took a while, uh, you know, for, for Dan to kind of know where exactly to plug me in. Um, but he also wanted to get into some more multifamily type things. So I was able to, uh, you know, start cold calling, make some relationships and they ended up, you know, putting a multifamily, multifamily property under contract. So what worked, uh, so a lot of new investors try to get mentor, you know, mentors and reach out to more experienced investors, get meetings and so forth. And they want to do what you're talking about, which is basically get exposure, get your, get your feet wet and see what the day-to-day operations are. What worked finally for getting Dan, you know, did you just bug him until he was like, okay, get yeah, in. Yeah. I went to his drive office around a, with me, went to his office a few times. You know, I, I've done the same with larger players even today where I'm like, you know, I still don't have that huge project. I'm, I'm going to get there. And a lot of the larger developers and, and, and players are telling me you're doing everything right. It'll come. You need a project. Um, but I'm like, you know, I don't have one yet. So give me an opportunity to show you my value, you know. And when you're talking with, you know, investors or professionals that have more experience with you, I think it's important to be educated. If you go on and even on now on the Facebook groups, a lot of the questions are the same. They're the same questions, same answers, you know, to do a little bit of research. You know, when I first started getting exposed to real estate, like so many people, you'd listen to every bigger pockets podcast you could. I highlighted like seven to eight authors on bigger pockets and I would just read their posts because there's so many different opinions and inputs and there's no right or wrong, but at least that would give me consistent information from people that look like, you know, that I can trust their replies. And some of them are different, but I, that's kind of what I did. I just bookmarked seven or eight people and I would just read their posts. That's a good tip. Um, it, we've talked about this and we, uh, several times, but I, can you think of another industry outside of real estate where there are so many different approaches to doing business and running a business 
I can't think of one that's even anywhere close. I can't think of a person in Omaha or the surrounding area that does things exactly like I do. Like I can't think of one. Everybody has a different approach to this, whether it's slightly different, it could be a different part of town, a different asset class. Uh, maybe they, maybe they flip, maybe they rehab, maybe they like turnkey, maybe it's single family. Maybe it's how they pay their, pay their properties, how they bundle them in, in, in the back end. I mean, yeah, it, it, there's an endless number of options in this industry. Uh, there, it, it, it's really mind blowing. And, and one thing I wanted to touch on with you is how do you, corral your mind a little bit when you're starting out to decide what segment of real estate you want to pursue real estate investing, because there's a, there's a difference between learning a, a little about a lot or chasing a shiny object. Where do you, how, how did that work for you? How did you decide what you decided? Did you explore? I'll let you answer that. Sure. Right? Sure. So I think a lot of people naturally get started in single family because it's something they're familiar with. People grew up in a single family home, things like that. They're more exposed to it. Um, it's less complicated. You're not dirt dealing with a lot of terminology you hear in multifamily and commercial financing that can be intimidating if you're not exposed to it. Um, but, you know, and, and, you know, 14 units that I manage today and I still self-manage and I never thought that I would self-manage 14 properties, but it has shocked me how, you know, not time consuming it has been. And, you know, I just got to a point, man, I want to take this. I want to be a big player. When I go to the meetup or the RIA, I mean, I'm thinking, man, I want to be the baddest MF in here. You know, that's the mentality. <laughs> you know, that. I want to I want to know who has the most experience here. And I want to go. I want to be shadow them for a month and, and see, OK, am I that far off or I'm right there with you? You know, so so that's kind of been been fun to talk to some of the, the larger players and get feedback from them on you know, my path and, and am I, am I going about things the right way? But, uh, you know, then I wanted to shift and multifamily was the natural transition from single family homes. It's still residential. Yes, we classified as commercial, but you still have tenants paying rent. You just have some additional line items to consider and some different, uh, financing options that may be available to you. Uh, so that was kind of my, my natural progression was multifamily. Since I have, continuing to educate myself still on different areas of commercial real estate. So, um, you know, the hotel has kind of given me a little bit of exposure into different asset classes. But recently, I, I toured an industrial property and the agent was very helpful in getting me to understand some differences between multifamily and flex or light industrial, you know, light industrial or industrial and multifamily have been the lowest risk asset classes in real estate. So, you know, I went to see a building with them a few months ago, and then recently another one came up and he reached out to me and went to see that one again. And at the same time, I'm reading so much about real estate. I, I just finished this book, The Encyclopedia of Commercial Real Estate, brilliant book about every topic of commercial real estate. And those have just, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm reading, I'm seeing it apply now. So this time I toured just my second industrial property or office property. I felt much more comfortable at analyzing it. So I think it's just a matter of kind of staying what you know. Like I've, I feel more comfortable, uh, you know, analyzing and buying a multifamily property probably than a lot of people that own multifamily property because I have just consumed as much content on it as I, as I can read about it, talk to people about it, seen, you know, 
analysis of it, things like that. Yeah, what I was going to ask was, you, you mentioned commercial properties, and this might be a, a path for you. Are you having any concern with the amount of available commercial or office space that there is in town? And and with all that's happened with the pandemic, do you think that that's kind of killing the market? Because that's what you hear consistently. But I've never dove into this area of, of uh, the segment of the market, so I have no idea. Yeah. And again, I'm not heavily involved in the industrial office side. I've seen some properties, but I really want to scale into the residential multifamily side. I was talking to a broker and I was curious how many multifamily properties change, change hands a year in Omaha. And he said, counting 12 units and above, which is kind of at least some scale to measure, 12 units above, 50 properties change hands a year in Omaha, multifamily. So I was thinking, wow, that's, that's not a lot. Out of that, you know, I'm looking for something, I'm looking to step into something 20 to 40 unit type. How many of those out of those 50 are going to be that? Maybe three out of that. How many are going to be in neighborhoods that I want and are going to be at a price point? You know, I've gotten close on some stuff, but man, I just couldn't get there. You know, I just couldn't get there on the price. I'm in, I, when I'm doing my underwriting, I'm coming in at a three and a half, four cap. Maybe I get to a five and a half cap, six cap after 24 months of stabilization. So that process forced me into, okay, let me get into development then. If I can't find anything that I'm looking for, what if I build? I knew how to underwrite a 30-unit multifamily property, but I didn't know what to do with a three-acre parcel. I didn't know where to start. So I took the Spark Developer Academy, which was mentioned to me at at one of the meetups somewhere, and that was really, it's a two-week program, at least ours was, and I think they're just entering the third term. Two-week program, four hours a day, all about real estate development. They bring in about 30 panel members of different professionals in the area. They pair you with a mentor that has development experience. And the panel members are all, you know, different areas of real estate, such as architects, engineers. You even had people from the city. You had lawyers, property managers. And they're just sharing two, three hours of their time. And the end uh, goal of the the uh, class is basically you're pitching a capstone project. And on that last day, they've brought in commercial bankers, you know, four that you're pitching to. So that was a great baseline education for me, especially having real estate experience, knowing some of the terminology. Okay, now I have a three acre parcel. I know where I need to start with this at. I tell you what, we had the spark, uh, lady from spark come speak in front of the RIA and I got more out of you in that, in that 30 second bit than I did out of that. I feel dumb because I didn't know what, and it's I didn't new. even know what the, I, I had heard Spark Developer Academy. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I've been mentioning it endlessly because it was an unbelievable resource. And then after the two weeks, I reached out to each of the panel members individually and met with them. And I felt like Spark, some of these people aren't easy to just meet, you know, just like that, but it gives you a certain amount of credibility um, that you went through this and you're serious and, you know, what, what did that cost? And yeah, I was going to gonna say it was $500 or they have free sponsorships. I felt guilty paying $500. Right. Unbelievable with all the, that's again, why I'm such a big advocate of it. I felt guilty taking the sponsorship. So I just paid it and it just an unbelievable resource. I mean, those, that class, I don't even know if I can put a number value on it, you know, 5,000, 10,000 with a lot of the you know, real estate gurus that are out there right now. And what I love about it, it is market specific here to Omaha. You're talking to city officials, you know, then afterwards I I went to the city and I just had scheduled a pre-app meeting with some potential sites just so I know what a pre-app meeting 
you know, what should I expect for those? And again, I think Spark and some of those connections just gave me some credibility in continuing those conversations. Maybe uh, Owen and I, you want to do a class together here soon? I, I would love to do that. That's uh, You'd love you it. It's, it's two, two weeks. It, their hours, next term, I believe, is in October. I don't know if their applications are still open. Now, This for this next one, they're going to shift it down. Ours was in Zoom also because of the pandemic. The next one is in October. And this one I heard is going to be uh, like one week, but eight hours a day, at least for four or five days. And they invited the graduates from the second one to come back and participate. So I'm coming back so I can just, you know, it's going to be different panel members and just observe. There's just so much information. Why wouldn't you want to go back and expose yourself to it? I mean, we, we, all we do, do is just not record one podcast one week. Yeah. And, and you and I can knock it out. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Wow, that that is really really cool. I I had no idea. I couldn't speak highly enough about it. Like, just gave me everything that I was looking for in terms of I'm I feel ready to pursue a development project. And since you know I've met and I've started evaluating sites, looking at potential projects, um, and feel very comfortable about the undertaking of let's say a forty eight unit apartment complex. I'm wow. excited. Let's look at that. Okay, and yeah, we'll have to report back to uh, to our listeners about more details with it. I bet there's going to be some interest. I had no idea. I, well, especially after meeting with, with Jerry and Scott earlier this week and highlighting how much I did not know. I feel like that's a good way to bridge, uh, bridge a big gap. We're going to have a lot, we're going to have a lot of reporting back. We got to report back. Yeah, and, no, right. right when this airs, <laughs> give ourselves homework. I think when this airs, we'll be just getting back from bigger pockets too. Yes. So that's right. Yeah. That'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, we'll have to do an episode about that too. You going to bigger pockets? I'm not attending bigger pockets. You know, there's so many opportunities uh, to attend and conferences that right now I really want to focus my time on the opportunities. You know, the opportunities, I feel like the education is never ending. And I'm sure, if, you know, anyone who goes to bigger pockets is going to get so much valuable information, but sometimes then you got to start pick and choosing. Yeah. Did, did you see, you guys see Megan Ahern is um, in Maui? So this has been two weeks ago from right now when, when you're listening to this. But she was in Maui. She did the the mastermind that Brandon Turner is putting on. And she's a RIA member. She's out of Lincoln. She's a flipper. Um, really need to get her on the show to really talk about that. I'm, I'm dead set on that now. But she's like posting pictures of Brandon and all them. I mean, can you imagine the knowledge that she's gaining out of that event? Ted's bringing this up because uh, Brandon and Megan tagged him in a in a couple of posts. Oh, okay. So now, okay. Now, now he's famous. Well, I, I, I asked. Um, I asked. What's it going to take to bring Brandon in? I asked Megan that. And then she posted something like, so it's going to take $50,000 <laughs> or more. And I go, I go, well, it sounds like we got a goal now. <laughs> Ted slowly crosses Brandon, Brandon off the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, got it. One of my goals is to do a big conference. And I want to bring yeah. a national speaker in. I want to do it like a Ralston Arena, you know, like a big conference. Yeah. And Dave Green uh, already said that he would do it. And we, and if we uh, put this together and bring Brandon in, it would just be huge. But when I talked to David, David's like, hey, um, you're going to either have to pay out or you're going to have to have a, a, a deal for him to, that he's going to buy and give him a reason to come to town. Wow. So it's good negotiation. We got to figure that out. <laughs> but hey, I can, I just want to, before we kind of get into our, our deal breakdown, I, I, where are you investing predominantly? Are you doing West Omaha? You- I'm, I'm primarily, I've looked at West Omaha. I have a house in Benson. I have a house in Bellevue. I'm more, what, what is the neighborhood doing? Can I, how I've thought about it is, can I get a $1,500 tenant in this house? You know, would a $1,500 tenant live here without problem and in this area? That's how I've looked at it. And now I'm starting to look maybe a little bit, uh, different areas up and coming, maybe, you know, uh, I'm not even really 
heavily looking at Lincoln because I feel like I got to do something right here. Still, my, my boots on the ground, my contractors, my contacts are going to be different in Lincoln than Omaha. So within a 30 minute, you know, radius of Omaha is really where I am focused on. Okay. And my other question for you, and I, I asked this because I'm debating this and, and maybe Owen will be the more the person that can give us the answer to this, but you talk about your loans and the rates that you're getting. Have you looked into doing like a portfolio loan? I I'm locked in at 30 years on these, you know, my term is 30 years. My amortization is 30 years and they're fixed at like 3%. So transferring that to a portfolio loan is going to reduce my cash flow. You know, it just gives me so much flexibility on these conventional loans. There's no prepayment penalty either. Um, so it's just, they're too good, you know? And that's why I feel like a lot of the homes that I bought, pretty much everything that I bought was on the market or right about to hit the market. Some things that I've done is when a property comes up for sale, I've tried to be one of the first people to see it. And sometimes you just get a little bit lucky. Say a property gets listed on the MLS on Thursday, they're reviewing offers on Friday afternoon or evening. They're not waiting until Monday. Why? I don't know. You know, so that's an opportunity to maybe not enough eyes get on it. You know, a duplex that I bought, it got listed and then it went under contract uh, probably very fast because I, I have spent so much time on the assessor side and county side that I kind of pretty much have, was seeing everything at the time. And uh, then that property went out of contract, but it didn't get the listing didn't get renewed. So it wasn't a f- new listing. It was just a reactivation of an old listing. So it was already on the market for a few weeks. So probably didn't get enough eyes on it uh, the second time around and was able to, you know, get it at that time. So, um, yeah, some of the properties that I bought have been in market value. And when you have a little bit of scale, I would say 10 plus single family homes, the cash flow becomes more realistic. When you have one or two homes, it might look, okay, I'm going to cash flow two, $300 a month. But one thing happens and it wipes away your budget. When you have a 10 plus, your budgets and your cash flow starts being a little bit more realistic. You know, when you have 10 homes and they're all occupied for one year, that's 120 months of straight vacancy, you know, if you've collected successfully. If you have one single family home, you need that home to be occupied for 10 consecutive years to maintain the same level of, you know, vacancy or occupancy. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I brought that up because that's something that, you know, has been getting mentioned to me a lot in conversations talking about portfolio loans. And, you know, I was, I was told and, you know, and maybe you can contest this, but it's a good way to bring some equity, uh, pull some equity out so you can re- you know, reallocate those resources somewhere else. I mean, any feedback on that? When you say portfolio loans, do you mean you're combining like a blanket uh, loan with several properties, or do you mean more like a commercial commercial loan product where they keep the uh, the loan in house? Yeah, option one. The the <laughs> pulling them all pulling multiple properties together. Got it. So blanket mortgage would be another term for this, or a, a blanket loan. Uh, and I I have done this uh, on a, on a few different occasions with properties that I have owned for a while. So I will combine them into into one mortgage. There'll be one payment, and they'll put basically a lien on each property. But that way you're able to kind of like take advantage of a little bit of scale. You don't have so many mortgage payments to worry about and and things like that. So they are beneficial, I would say in situations where you've, you've owned stuff a while, or maybe like you, you have an opportunity to refinance, but you don't want to do 10 different refis because you're gonna have costs on each one of those. And they're honestly a pain in the ass to do. 
right? And, uh, yeah, right, right. And then also the portfolio loan, you know, on the single family stuff, you know, for, for many people, it doesn't make sense. Some of these houses that I bought for 150, 170, 180, I don't want to refi them for 225 and then still collect $1,600 a month in rent. It's not going to cash flow. So I don't mind having that equity there. You know, I'm probably 60% uh, you know, LTV across my portfolio. So, um, and you know, maybe that's a little bit conservative, but, um, you know, considering five, 6% agent fees, things like that. Um, so I, I don't mind if I, if I want to ever offload a house, it won't be that difficult, especially in the market that we've been in. Um, so if I wanted to, you know, potentially refi and pull some equity out, I could, I probably wouldn't do it at the market value the property is in and having some of those 15 year mortgages and 20 year mortgages, commercial, kind of allows you to do that, to build up that equity quickly and then have access to it if you need to. That's great information. I really appreciate that. And I think that, you know, we're kind of getting past that hour mark. So how about we get into our deal Deal breakdown? So this is the point in the conversation that we like to break down a a property that you have, just kind of get some basic information on it and uh, just give some other people some insights on on how you work. Sure, sure. So uh, so do you have a property in mind? So I guess I'll talk about the duplex, something, you know, different from a little bit different from the single family. Okay. Well, how do you find this? Duplex? So I was in bed at like two thirty three a.m. on Zillow <laughs> on my iPad looking at God, is there any That's how mul- all good deals happen? <laughs> is there any multifamily that I missed? And I came across this. And I was like, this has been listed for like 20 days. How come I haven't seen this? Then I, okay, maybe it went under contract and I talked to the agent afterwards. It went under contract and they didn't renew the listing. They just reactivated the old one because it fell out. So not a lot of people had, were probably getting eyes on it. And how much did it cost? Uh, 238. 238. And 238, this is uh, North, Northwest Omaha? Northwest Omaha. Yep. Okay. Um, it was uh, built for purpose. Um, same owner since construction, I believe. Um, beautiful property, exactly the type of, of duplex that, you know, you dream of. Now this is a side by side townhome style right. duplex, yep. uh, multi-level. Like yep, you have split a, level. Yep. Okay. Yep. One, two car garage. Oh, one car garage, each side, uh, two bedroom, one bath, uh, same setup has a deck in the back, uh, corner lot. Um, you know it, Ted, I think you walked this one too. Oh yeah. Um, and potential for, a, <laughs> of course he did <laughs> potential for a bedroom and a bathroom in the basement. Okay. If you want to add in with a lot of my properties, you know, I like something that maybe you have a potential to add a bedroom or a bathroom somewhere. I probably might not do it because it's not going to give me any more value in terms of rent. It's not worth it, but it's nice to have that value add play for maybe an owner occupant next time that I could use this space. And it, was it listed for 238 or did you negotiate? I think it was listed for maybe 240. Okay. Probably. So. And did you use any leverage to get that price down or just throw a price down? Uh, yeah, we, we, what we did is we, you know, walked it and said, can I, can I bring a friend to, to walk this property with me? And the friend was an inspector undercover. So he kind of walked it and looked at it, you know, (laughs) you know, and, uh, we kind of just, okay. You know, we did a, you know, just a quick, it wasn't a full inspection. It's just taking a look around and, you know, paid him a hundred dollars just for giving me the quick, uh, you know, eyes on the property, anything major I need to look out for. They weren't like, why is your friend crawling through the attic right now? (laughs) Knocking on the walls. We, 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 we brought him down and we said, no, you can't, you can't go up there. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's just Jerry. He does this. 
I don't know. We do that a lot with uh, with contractors too. So we, if we find a wholesale property, we'll bring a contractor with us as you know, yeah, just walking right, to get, right. get eyes on it. It's smart. Yep. So it's, there it's are good, some small items and good golden nugget there. That's right. You know, and an ability to close faster or things like that that uh, we uh, you know were able to bring the price down. It wasn't much, you know, thousand, two thousand dollars. How did you end up funding the deal? Was this one where you used a conventional loan? That was a conventional loan. Yes. So thirty year. 30 year fixed. 30 year fixed. How long did it take for you to make from offer acceptance to closing? Was it 30 days? I, I believe it was probably around 45 to 60 days. The oh, okay. conventional take longer, especially, you know, if the appraiser is going out there, they're so backed up sometimes, you know. And then, you know, with the conventional, there's more paperwork involved. You know, I went from four to 13 in a year and I was primarily working with the same bank on it. So they kind of knew all, knew me, knew my information, already had all, a lot of the relevant documents. So it wasn't as bad then, you know, there's still some things that you want to keep following up on, but it wasn't too much of a headache when I was working with the same contacts, even though it was a conventional loan. So you got it for two, 238. 238. It was one unit was vacant. The other one was, uh, occupied and she was at 950. And, uh, so what I did with her is, uh, sent her a, you know, notice that new management is coming in. Um, things like that just bumped her that not immediately, but the second month rent will be nine ninety five, just a little bit of a bump. Um, and then the the vacant unit, uh, believe got and you it kept. And did you keep her month to month, or did you really? Put I her kept release? her month to month. Yeah. yeah, because I didn't know the quality of tenant that she was. Yeah. Um, so just kept her month to month. Um, they're still there even now. This was probably now. It's been about fifteen months ago. I bought this property. Um, and the other side, I I rented for eleven ninety five, and. Recently, uh, they came, uh, she came to, uh, emailed me and said that, you know, I don't want to extend my lease because, uh, I can, I'm only looking for something, you know, 995 is my budget. And she's been a great tenant. And so I said that, you know, the market is really tough right now, if you, especially if you want to be in a good quality neighborhood. You can't really find anything around that price point. What I can do for is you, I'll drop it down $100 to 1095. So usually you're never dropping rent. You know, but what I did is then I uh, locked the uh, rent in for like 20 months, I believe it was. So it did a couple of things for me. First, I'm getting a good quality tenant that always pays their rent on time and is easy to communicate with in for a longer term. If I wanted to, you know, not if she didn't want to pay 1195, it was going to cost me about one, uh, you know, one month of rent anyway to turn that unit over. So I locked her in at basically the same as I would if I got a new 1195 tenant in there and I extended their term. So now I have a paying tenant in there for 20 months. And I also ended their rent somewhere between March and July, which is a good time if I need to re-rent it to do it there. So that's something I've tried to do with new leases and stuff. Like I recently had a single family vacancy and I made their term nine months because if their term ends, I want it to end at a good time that's easy to re-lease. So if you have multiple, like 10 plus properties, I wouldn't say have everything end May 31st. Get some March 31st, April 30th, May 31st, June 30th, you know, get some uh, in there that you're still hitting, um, you know, some uh, g- good times for turnover and re-renting. Did you have to do any renovations on this property initially? Like- this one was turnkey. So again, uh, one unit was occupied. That probably needs a little bit of updating after they move out. Um, but the other side, it was done. Uh, you know, it's not done how I would do it, but everything is new, fresh carpet, things like that. And it doesn't make sense always to go in and put the money for the extra $100 a month bump in rent. Well, a lot of people would have possibly walked away from this because they, they think the 1% rule. And that's something I've 
always looked at the 1% rule. And you're not achieving your 1%. Honest. Right. So I was originally at 1,000 plus uh, 1,200. So 2,200 on a 238 purchase, let's just say 240. So I'm close. On the stuff that I'm not hitting 1%, I'm at like 09 or just slightly under. But again, when you have some scale and you have a 30-year mortgage, you'll be okay. Is this on the corner lot? Yeah. Okay, I know what property this is. So, I mean, do your rents are, I mean, you have the ability to, back up here, you can add bedrooms to that basement. Yeah. Which you haven't done, right? No. So value add opportunity there. Right. And, um, which would make it, what, a three bed? Three bed, yep. And, and I could add a bathroom there too. But I mean, as a two bed right now, I mean, is it safe to say that you're under rented? Probably a little bit under rendered, and, yeah. Because with a three bed, now that and I, I know which property this is, yep. um, I mean, I, I would have to venture that you're, you could potentially be getting in that 1400 range. Yeah, I would say a three bedroom nicely updated. You know, I would have Even to come more. in and do some other updates rather than just updating the bedroom. Um, but again, the market has exploded over the last year. I wasn't expecting the inventory to go down so low. Some of the properties that I've, you know, I've become vacant or I bought, you know, I was saying, okay, it's going to be 1450 a month and I'm getting 1595. So, Kind of getting a little bit, you know, in there and, and, you know, the portfolio is there. Is it a little bit under rented? Yes. But did I expect the market to explode? Like even the rental market? No, I didn't. And, uh, you know, keeping, you know, I'd still have to put in 15,000 there to get things, you know, done. And then the time to recover that 15,000 is still going to be, you know, 200, $300 a month. It's still going to take some time. If I was going to refi that property and go off the new appraised value, that might make sense if I want to pull out equity. But on a 30 year fixed mortgage, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not looking for additional equity payout right now. So at a commercial loan where now my amortization is 20 years. Back to everybody's got a different way of going at it. Exactly. <laughs> and and uh, that's why I love these conversations. Yeah, there's no right so. way. I mean, you're only limited by your creativity and everyone's strategy is different. You know, some people are in single family and crushing it. Some are in multifamily, some are in syndication, some are in, you know, individual private investors. So yeah, that was a great, that was a great breakdown. Actually, It was. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well, uh, there's this always in this section that we like to call. Fabulous five. You want you want to sing with us? Oh uh, no! Oh, okay, Thank you. okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to, we always like to ask. You know, I mean that should be a, a group thing where we all kind of bring it in. So harmony. <laughs> well, with our fabulous five, we have five questions that we like to ask everybody in this room, and this is probably the most exciting part of our podcast, and the part that everybody looks forward to, and probably fast forwarded right to this point. <laughs> so, in our fabulous five, question one is: What book are you reading right now? So, I just finished that Encyclopedia of Commercial Real Estate. Now, I'm on Creative Cash. Um, which is all about master lease options and creative seller financing, which is, you know, again, I didn't know about it, but I'm like, man, I, I should learn this. Maybe I'm not using it, but I feel as much tools that you can add to your tool belt and then pull it out at the right time is valuable. Are you an audible guy or do you like the physical books? I, I was never Kindle? a big reader until recently and I'm buying every real estate book that I can kind of find. And uh, a lot of the stuff now it's kind of being repeated, which is nice because it really gets ingrained in your brain. But I've listened to some Audible and I've listened to and then I've read some books and I just feel like reading it. Like I get excited when an Amazon package comes up my door now and it's like books and my, my wife's like, oh, what is this stuff? I'm like, it's books. It's like, really? Um, so, you know, it, it's just a different feeling and I got my highlighter and I'm highlighting and I just feel like it's being a little bit more reinforced to where the Audible for me you know, on the shorter one to two hour stuff, I feel like like the podcast, the bigger pockets is good for that for me. Well, you know, I'm kind of surprised that he says he gets excited when he gets a package because I, right. I figured he's right. like, ooh, not package. another package. All the packages. <laughs> It's like you just, you invite the uh, UPS guy over for dinner because yeah, you, you yeah. talk to him so many times. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Next question. What is your favorite podcast? So I've, I've been shifting around on some, you know, bigger pockets is obviously kind of the, the, the godfather of the real estate, uh, podcast, but there's so many other ones that sometimes I'd listen to some other ones. Um, and there's so many investors sometimes, you know, I, I'm big into Twitter real estate right now. It's just an Twitter unbelievable, unbelievable resource to learn from some people that are involved in all different areas of real estate. Like that has really blown my mind is, is the amount of quality content that Twitter is producing for, I'm sure that's for a lot of different industries, but a very tight knit real estate community. I had no idea that, I mean, Twitter has everything. You'll, uh, you'll topic, be hooked on but, it. Yeah. yeah. You'll I'll be hooked on it. Out. I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I have that's like what I always golf saw. and yeah. you know stuff like that that I look at. But yeah. uh, I have to check that out. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get on my Twitter account too often. Maybe I need to do a new tweet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, so uh, what is your passion or hobby? Oh, real estate. Real estate. Yeah. No, talking real estate, reading yeah. real estate. Uh, I like basketball, boxing, things like that. Are you a big boxer, huh? Big boxing fan and getting into a little bit of boxing. So. Are you? You've been doing some training? Not yeah, do, Doing training, not competitive, but, you know, working the fun. paddle, speed bag, heavy bag, things like that. You doing that at home or are you working with somebody? I'm working with somebody. Yeah, who are you working yeah, Grover with? Grover Wiley, oh, no, contracting, Grover. and yeah. Grover was a professional boxer, so I'm at his gym right now and training with some of his trainers. When I, uh, in my Omaha Nightlife days, uh, we sponsored BFC fighters. Okay. And Grover yep. always had a team out there. Yeah, yeah, so great we, guy. We did a lot of sponsorships. And he does, uh, you know, contracting and roofing and things like that so he's been uh, uh just a, a great contact for me to have as well watch out something's gonna be like bah, bah, bah. <laughs> hey new negotiating uh <laughs> tactic like just learn learn boxing or self-defense and ufc yeah. yeah uh okay so we left out all right what what are you looking for in your business right now or what are you excited about um, I'm excited about just increasing deal flow and opportunities. You know, if anybody ever wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to talk to somebody who's just starting out or, you know, I'm because I'm also reaching out to, you know, players that are doing larger stuff and bigger deals. So I'm, I love talking real estate and I'm happy to help. Um, so what I'm looking for is just continued relationships here, um, and being able to provide value and, uh, you know, uh, give value to others. What does a good land development deal look like? How would somebody know when they have one that you might be interested in? I'm yeah, I'm primarily looking for, you know, something one to five acres uh, in a decent area of town, I would say, I guess that's kind of open ended, um, but probably something that has some infrastructure around it. Um, because I'm do- looking to do, uh, you know, somewhere around, let's say, 20 to 80 units. Uh, of con- new construction apartments. Again, construction costs, as we all know, are very high right now. So sometimes going on that smaller scale is difficult, but maybe I would phase it out. Um, something that has some uh, existing uh, infrastructure around it, maybe utilities are on site or close by, um, something that maybe uh, does not have a lot of different contours and elevations where it's a relatively flat site that would be easier to work with and less site work. Um, something that I feel confident is either zoned to the density that I'm looking for or that I could get zoning for uh, during due diligence. So if somebody was listening to this right now and they either think that they would be a good partner for you or want to be coffee number 101 in the next six months, um, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, and are you willing to give that content information? Yes, here? absolutely. I'll give you my, my cell phone number is 701 238 8400. It's 701 because I am from Fargo and the area code there is 701, but I'm very local to Omaha. I live in Bennington. Um, my, I'm, I'm part of the, the RIA Facebook group and the Omaha meetup. You've probably seen me on there. Feel free to DM me, add me as a friend. 
Um, my, my company name is Silk Properties, S-I-L-K, properties.co. Um, just an informational website really right now, but has a little bit of information about me. Um, I started a blog just to kind of, I haven't been promoting it, but just to, as a place to kind of share my thoughts maybe a couple times a month on stuff I'm learning because so much information is there. So I just wanted an outlet because it's easy when you don't have that next deal, but you're learning so much, it feels like you're not making progress because we judge it by what we've bought, not by what we've learned. So I kind of use that to, you know, just vent out some thoughts that I have. And that one is just satiumrealestate.com. We'll make sure we get those in the show notes on the bottom of the page. So um, thank you so much for taking the time to come out here. Uh, thank on- you guys for having me. I think we're really fortunate to be in a community that has so many resources uh, and, and people that are willing to help. And uh, this is another great uh, addition to the existing community and wishing you guys uh, continued success. Well, I appreciate it. You've just been a great supporter of, of us and around here. So we're just so privileged to have you. And, and also, thanks for being so available and open to meet with other people and experienced people. I mean, it's always, uh, the, you know, you got to gotta reach out and share knowledge to have, you know, the community continue to flourish. So we appreciate you, too. Thank you. And I uh, just want to say, if you're listening to this, you're enjoying what he says, definitely reach out to him. Uh, Satyam has been very active on the Omaha Ria. has been a very active member. Uh, that's definitely why we reached out to you to come in today. Uh, if you enjoying this podcast, please make sure you give us a review. Uh, we have six reviews. One of them might have been by, one might have been by me. <laughs> so five reviews out there. So give us a review on your favorite platform, definitely on uh, Apple. And uh, definitely check us out on omaharia.com. We have lots of events coming up. We're working on some uh, big national speakers uh, coming in too. But with that being said, Owen, will you see us out here? On behalf of Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dashner, and you've been listening to Satyam, the International Man Mystery. Signing off.